back to the 28th episode of Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellett. Today's guest exemplifies why sports psychology professionals should approach their job from the perspective of a teacher. Andy Harris found performance psychology through physical education teaching in Quincy, Washington. But his understanding of the mental game's impact goes all the way back to his high school baseball days. We went out to warm up and I started feeling weird. I was like, why, why do I feel weird? And then when I started to throw with my partner, I couldn't throw it to him. I, I We were five feet apart. I mean, we were not far apart. And it was just such a unique experience and humiliating at the time. But now I can look back on it and be like, well, I just wasn't prepared mentally. I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't realize that when I got to a higher level that the mental side was going to be such a big deal and that it was going to be something that could help me um, and also something that could hurt me if I wasn't prepared and, and didn't understand, you know, the, the importance of it. So, yeah, that was that was definitely just an experience of I don't know what's happening. I'm confused and I can't throw the ball five feet. Luckily, I could still hit somewhat, but I couldn't I couldn't throw the ball anywhere. And it was it was weird. It was such a strange experience. When Harris realized that his mental preparation had gone far too long unaddressed, he set to work improving and feeding that part of his work ethic. Okay, even though this happened, I was still able to play my senior year like it didn't happen because I went back to some place that I was comfortable, which is interesting with the mind because I was comfortable there, so it wasn't as nerve-wracking or didn't cause the things that happened when I went and tried out. And so I actually didn't realize the importance of the mind or what happened in that moment until... I was out of college and started to look into mindset and what the importance is of having that in a place where you can go perform to your ability level or at least have the best chance to perform at your ability level because your mind is in a place that is able to process the things that you need to process. When he became a baseball coach, he was focused on implementing mental strategies in his players, but he didn't know where to begin teaching there was a big catalyst. So yeah, so I was coaching high school baseball. And when I coached high school baseball, our first year, we were incredibly talented, had a lot of talent on the team, probably a top, top 16 to top eight team in state type of team. They were really good. And we ended up losing in the first round of the playoffs and we were done. And I was so distraught is probably too strong of a word, but I was pretty upset after the season because I felt like I had failed those players. I did not, it was my first year coaching and I was very confused as to why such a talented team who could perform in practice really struggled when the game came and, and I didn't understand what it was. And it kind of brought me back to that moment in, in high school where I choked, but also I was able to meet with, Pat Bailey of Oregon State, who was the assistant coach at the time and then ended up becoming the head coach and is now retired from coaching. But he got me hooked up with Brian Kane and really got me started in the process of just what is the mind? What what can it do and, and what's the purpose of it? And we really started doing intentional drills each day in practice where we would we would put them in, in higher pressure situations in practice trying to get them to understand that practice really isn't a place where we just kind of hit balls, throw them to first, but it's really a place where we need to be intentional. And then we did meditation practices 
um, and also visualization practices. And it was kind of funny because we actually started the next season one and nine. And so it was like, okay, we didn't, this isn't really working, but we, we stuck with it. And we ended the season 10 and 10, and we ended up upsetting the number seven team in the state in the first round of the playoffs and won one to nothing. And I really credit that to the intentionality that we took into the mind and our players able being able to perform in pressure situations because they had done it in practice. They had taken the time to really see themselves as successful and working through adversity and, and all of that. So that was kind of my catalyst for where after that is when I really started to dive into it. So when is the right time for coaches to make the switch from teaching game fundamentals and teamwork to nurturing the mental side? Yeah, you know, T-ball's maybe a little early. Not that not that they couldn't understand some things. and and I think, But I think in that level, it's more about teaching them teamwork and teaching them how to work together and teaching them about the game. And there's so many things that they're trying to learn at a, as a five-year-old that focusing on, okay, you need to get your breath right and you need to do this and you need to, that it may be a little early at that point, but I, I definitely think as you know, when you get to eight to nine to 10 year olds to middle school, I think it should be prioritized in your practice because those kids are going to start to feel pressure as they get older. And they're going to start to, to see that in life in general, I mean, most athletes that play are not going on to the next level. Most athletes are not going to be elite. And the mental game doesn't only help in athletics, but I take deep breaths all the time. You know, I, I still teach as well as do the mental game. And so I still take deep breaths in the classroom to be like, okay, this kid is giving me a lot of trouble. I got to take a deep breath and just refocus so that I can calmly talk to him or her without getting angry and mad and scream, you know, and all of that. So it still is a process that I think can help any eight, nine, 10 year old in, in working through all of the failure and struggles that life has. So I don't think you're, I, I don't think there's really a too early um, besides maybe in the T-ball range, but um, I think it's a really good thing to start at any time. Harris adds that prioritizing life skills then becomes a perfect segue to talking through mental struggles once the athletes develop. It was kind of our mission was to uh, create leaders on and off the field. And so that was our goal, regardless of how we did on the field. And I believe that as the younger ages, that's even more important is just to teach what I was talking about earlier in that teamwork and and learning to, to bounce back from failure and learning to, hey, you know, cheer on somebody maybe you're on the bench and you're not playing and you have to learn how to uh execute your role but not accept your role right you you don't you you may not want to be in that position but you need to learn how to execute it and still be a part of a team and that's that's a big deal as you get older because in most jobs you're a part of a team some jobs you're not but most of the jobs that you do you're a part of a team and so you need to learn that and I would say that skill development is still critical. I, you, you don't you don't just teach life skills at a at t-ball and six, seven, eight, nine year olds. They want to learn skills as well, and so you're doing both. I think that's that's the and I don't want to just give you the it's both answer, but it, I believe that it really is in in how you teach it. And when you're teaching a skill, 
and someone struggling with that skill, okay, here's a life lesson I can teach you through that skill because you're struggling with this skill. Well, let's talk about, hey, sometimes you have to push through and understand that it takes time. And when you're learning a new skill, it's not gonna be this day that you learn it most of the time. It's gonna take two, three days and then there's gonna be a breakthrough. And maybe sometimes there's not a breakthrough and you have to do a different skill and, and learn it a different way. And so I think it's, it's kind of that both where you just tie it in together and are able, and I think that those are the best coaches, the ones that can tie in the life skills with the skills of learning the, the actual baseball skill or football skill or, or uh, basketball skill that they're trying to do. Harris says that intentionality is paramount when teaching youth athletes about staying present, even during plays with negative outcomes. Instead of just swinging at 10 pitches in a row, you have an intentionality with what you're trying to accomplish. So if it's, okay, I'm only going to swing at a pitch on the inside corner, then you evaluate that. And then you have a coach that, that maybe jots down, okay, they swung at three pitches on the outside corner when they were intentionally trying to only swing at a pitch on the inside corner. Um, or with off-speed pitches. And this is what I worked with a college in East Wenatchee and they were talking about, you know, we have an approach to hit fastballs on the middle 10 inches and then we'll have guys go up to hit and they're swinging at curveballs in the dirt with an 0-0 count or a 2-0 count. And, it, and it's about trying to intentionally and practice, practice what you want to have accomplished and then measuring it so that you know, okay, we're not actually doing it. So we need to go back and practice and try to figure out a different way to maybe teach this so that we can be more intentional about it. And I think those are two ways that you can put the mental game in. And then meditation is always a good one to, to add in. I like to do it at the beginning of practice um, or at the end. I mean, I'm good with either. And then visualization for me is huge because I, I really believe that with visualization, there's a lot that visualize success, but I think visualizing bouncing back from failure is also a great way to be able to move forward. And so having individualized or even a team one, team one's not quite as good as individualized, but it's still good to have a, a visualization practice that they can go through um, daily and then before the game. So they're able to get into that mindset. Harris makes sure that the athletes he coaches are utilizing breath work and visualization practices. These techniques have been tried and true for Harris personally, and he loves to see them pan out for his team. The biggest thing for me is that the breath is always happening right now. So whenever, whenever you start to get into, for one, the green light routine, I think always having a breath to kind of get us refocused and ready, even when we're in green lights, is important. So starting with the breath, I think we always start with the breath. And then when we get to the red light routines, it's having that physical action to kind of with the breath to really and letting it go to, to let go and move forward from that. Because that, I think, especially freshmen, you're talking freshmen to high school, they have a really tough time moving forward. And when you make a mistake as a freshman, especially let's say in practice first, you make a mistake in front of a senior, you want them to know that you made that mistake because you don't want them to think, oh, I don't care. So you're going to make this big, uh, you know, ah, dang it, I messed up, blah, blah, blah. When in reality, you don't have to do that for them to understand that you know that you made your mistake. And when you, when you make that mistake, being able to let it go and move forward is probably the biggest piece. And, and so really being able to have that 
that focus and that focal point and being able to have the the chance to have that physical action with it because i think the physical action what i really love because what i used to do as a coach when i would get in red lights because a lot of coaches won't maybe won't say this but we get in red lights too and especially with umpire struggle and you you know i would always squeeze my fist and release it and when i when i let go of my wrist with my breath it was it was allowing myself to really release that and let go of what that was even though it, you know the tension may still be there the the frustration may still be there but you're able to let go of that that action and, and then move forward into that next step and push to that next the next position and so i think with with a freshman that's really key is just getting them to understand that it, it's one play and you you're going to get another play and the thing that we we don't want is to have one play affect another play and that's the the hard piece is is teaching them to let go of it so that we can continue to move forward into the next play because it's going to happen you're going to make errors i mean especially as a freshman in high school you're going to make errors you're going to make you know, have difficulty, but as long as you're going hundred percent and you're working really hard and you make a physical error, then continue to let it go and move forward and learn from it. And then we, we go forward to the next, next play. Harris believes so heavily in the power of nurturing the mental state that he's currently pursuing his CMPC certification. It has requirements and it makes you go through the work. And so you have to really study and understand what you're going into and I'm still working towards it. So it's not uh, something that I have yet, but it's something that allows you to kind of go towards and really understand the deep dive of the science behind what you're teaching. And I think that's critical. You don't always have to bring up the science when you're teaching someone, but to know the science allows you to have a better depth of understanding to be able to teach someone. And I think that's the critical piece. In terms of teaching others, Harris doesn't think that the hierarchy of quote coaching lends itself to being a good certified mental performance consultant. In fact, he'd much rather be a teacher than the coach in that regard. For him, it's not just semantics. Harris likes the shift he's seen of coaches more willing to talk with their athletes about mental health and teach themselves before they teach others. I don't think necessarily you have to be a, a coach in, in mindset. I, I think the biggest thing is you have to be a relationship builder. You have to be someone that can can talk and communicate and listen. And so, you know, there's still some coaches out there that are pretty my way or the highway, and I don't believe they would be great practitioners. Um, but luckily I believe that's changing in this world. And, and I believe that there's, there's such a, a bigger, bigger calling. I think there's a, a bigger calling with coaches nowadays than there was years ago, not that coaches weren't good years ago. They, there was tons of great coaches years ago. Um, and a little old school mentality is not bad. I don't, I don't think that's bad, but in the new way, it's more about building relationships and understanding your athletes. And I think that that is critical and athletes nowadays will ask questions. They're not just going to sit back and take what you say as the gospel, which is what used to happen. And, and I don't believe that was the best way to go about it. I think I think nowadays where they're asking questions and taking control and ownership of of what they're doing, I think that's critical. So I think you have to be willing to willing to be wrong nowadays. You have to be willing to say I don't know. Uh, you have to be willing to not be arrogant, and because 
it's easy to try to come up with an answer when someone asks a question because you don't want to sound stupid. It's much harder to say, I don't know, but I will find out. Harris credits athletes like Simone Biles for paving the way for future athletes to prioritize their own mental well-being. Biles' recent exodus from the Olympics for the sake of her mental health made an impact on Harris, and he says that he hopes more athletes follow suit. It was interesting because I, I'll be honest, when she first backed out, I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. And and it made me stop, stop in my tracks and even talk to my sister-in-law. I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. And then as I've, as I've listened and as I've learned and as I've, as I've taken more time to kind of see what she was dealing with, she wasn't afraid to put her mental health above an Olympic medal, which is, takes a lot of courage, takes a heck of a lot of courage. And that can be scary because I can imagine that she was nervous about the reaction. She was nervous about, you know, what it's going to look like. She was nervous because she's, I mean, she's probably the greatest gymnast of all time. And so I just am so proud and, and excited to see that that's something that we can look at nowadays. And actually, hopefully this will be a start to saying, hey, we need to prioritize the mental health of our athletes and realize that there may be more going on and, and this may happen again. I think it's still tricky because when you're on the biggest stage, you do feel the pressure to perform, right? You feel that. And I bet she did feel the weight of her country uh, on her shoulders. And she even said that, you know, sometimes I feel the weight of my country on my shoulders. And yeah, the negativity, I think, with, with mental game is, it, it's tough because I believe that athletes you know you want to tell them hey stay off social media but then we're all on social media too so it's hard to tell someone to stay off of it and it's and it's too bad that this is the way it goes if you fail i mean the the reliever for the mariners who gave up the game-winning home run had people in his wife's dms telling him really negative things the other night so it's just it's the nature of the beast which sucks um but i think also that what simone did is going to help and I, I think that regardless of the reaction on Twitter, because really Twitter's not real life, right? So, um, and you have a lot of keyboard warriors that are on there that, that like to say things that would never say that they'd never say it in real life. But um, so, I, and she got a lot of support too, which I, I think was huge. And so, so I think it's going to help rather than hurt, even though, yeah, there may be some negative reaction out there. I think the, the positive reaction that she was able to receive from most of the community will help in the future for other athletes that may be dealing with some of the same things. If Simone Biles is any indication of which direction the athlete mental health conversation is going, I'd say we're in good hands. Thanks for listening, everyone. That's the end of episode 28 of Closer Mentality. As always, I'm your host, Julia Mellet. Give Andy a follow on Instagram at abharris03 and Closer Mentality one as well at Closer Mental. If you would like to tell your mental performance journey, send us a DM. If you would like to listen to Andy's full interview, go over to Closer Mentality Uncensored on YouTube and listen to the full recordings with all of my guests. Buckle up for next episode when Mac Marcoux, a legally blind Canadian para-alpine skier, comes on to talk about his experience with extreme sports and the impact that losing his eyesight had on his future endeavors. See you next week. Music